as somebody who ticks multiple boxes on the LGBTQ plus world <laughs> spectrum, whatever you want to call it, seeing my people, my community, people like me represented in the genres that I love, like science fiction and fantasy, is really important. The problem is, a lot of people, especially well-intended people, don't do the best job including us in their fiction. So let's talk about how to write LGBTQIA plus characters in science fiction and fantasy on today's Project Shadow. Hello everyone, how are you doing today? My name is Charlie, you might know me better as sci-fi fantasy writer C.E. Dorset, and today we're talking about that thing that I talk about a lot, LGBTQIA representation in science fiction and fantasy, because I'm rather obsessed about this, and my entire career apparently has been based on this, and uh, yeah, it's just, it's always on my mind. So we're going to talk about that today, but before we get into all that, if you haven't already, please do take a moment to rate this podcast in whatever app you're listening to me on. It really does help out a lot. It tells the algorithms to share the podcast with more people. The more people that listen, the bigger the community. The bigger the community, the better the chance we get to communicate with each other. And after all, that's why I do this in the first place. All right. So for anybody who has been listening since uh, season one of Discovery, You know, there are several ways that you can do this wrong. First of all, let's start with just a couple big, evil, dastardly, villainous tropes that need to be avoided at all cost. Let's start there, okay? The first one is the sinister lesbian. Now, I'm not saying you cannot write a lesbian character who happens to be the villain of the story. But you have to be careful about how you do it. You see, there is this trope that goes all the way back to Carmilla, which if you haven't read it, it's actually a, I, I, it's a book that I like, that the, one of the first vampire novels ever written, and kind of set the trope. Carmilla, or the sinister lesbian, is that character who comes into the story and is missing almost all of her feminine attributes, unless it's to be sexy, unless it's there to seduce someone into her power, into her web of power. Other than that, she's cold and isolating and quite mannish in most of the other ways that she's written, and exists only to manipulate, destroy, corrupt, especially corrupt, everything around her. And while I know you may be saying that sounds like a lesbian who is a villain, no, no, specifically, this character is generally included into stories to quite literally seduce people into evil. She's practically a demoness, a succubus, 
except for her target is usually well-meaning and innocent girls who will be brought into her web of lies and deceit into the nightmare world that she's trying to bring about. This character, thank goodness, has not appeared in anything that I have watched or seen in a while, but there's always the danger of her coming back. The closest that we see in anything approaching modern media that I would point out to this is uh, Dark Willow from (sighs) Buffy the Vampire Slayer. The thing that did things well and not so well and was very well-meaning. Yeah. See, one of the ways that this character usually comes apart, comes about, is because she has gone mad because somebody has harmed, killed, or something else to her lover. And thus, the only solution left to her is to destroy the world. Because that is a rational response to that. But yeah, be careful. Don't do that. On the other side of thing, there's the mincing male villain. Now, this one came about as a result of the Hayes Code. And, oh, we can see this in everything from the Maltese Falcon to Jafar in Aladdin. Disney is especially egregious on this one. Where we're going to queer code the villain, whether we tell you or confirm that the character is queer or not, they're definitely going to be queer coded because that queer coding adds to their malevolence, darling. Don't you know? They're just evil because mm, it feels so good. And there are some fun ways that this has been played with over the years. It was such a trope that by the time the Rocky Horror Picture Show came out, Frankenfurter is a clear, I mean, just abject parody of this type of character. He's mincing, he's sinister, he's over-the-top, queer-coded in every way. He gets to have a bisexual relationship with our two main characters, and, of course, at the end, dies terribly. But that's a separate trope that we will get to in a minute. This character can be fun to write, and I think that there are things that can be done to rehabilitate the mincing villain, but you have to be very, very careful and very intentional in how you would try to subvert this trope if you did try to subvert this trope. One thing that I think would be interesting, like in going back, you know, referencing the Rocky Horror Picture Show again, Frank is not the only heterosexual, homosexual character or queer character in the story. Rocky is clearly bi. Brad is clearly bi. And so we have at least a few other queer characters that are present in the story. That helps. When the only queer characters that occur in a story are evil, well, that just doesn't work now, does it? So, don't do that one. The, the biggest one, and the one that I alluded to with how Frank dies, is the barrier gaze trope. This one annoys me to all end. I mean, it really does. And it's so bad in, and so common in sci-fi and fantasy and horror to see this one. It's kind of like the bad joke of, 
Okay, so we've got a group of kids who are going out into the evil haunted campground. We have a white male, a white female, a black guy, and a queer kid. The white woman will be the one who survives. You know that going into it. Unless they're uh, actively subverting this particular trope and tropes like it. It is a terrible thing, and you see it raising up all over the place. It is... When I watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer, when Willow and Tara were introduced, the first thing I said is, one or both of these characters is going to die. It was assumed. It could easily be assumed that one or both of these characters would die. Because that's what happens when you insert a gay character into a story. When a queer character gets put into a story, they may be able to have a full plot arc, but they are eventually going to die and be removed. This was the problem that I had with Discovery Season 1, and why I kind of lost it with Discovery Season 1. Because, well, they introduced us not only to the first queer character in the well, first out queer character in a mainstream Star Trek series that we were going to get to know and meet and love and all those wonderful things, but they introduced us to his husband. And as a bad joke, I turned to my husband and I said, one of these two people is going to die. And of course he did. And in a way that made absolutely no sense, but I'm not going to rehash that again. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. But I want to. This is such an overt trope and has finally come to the opinion to the attention of so many people that there's been backlash lately when this happens. Now, does that mean that you can never kill a queer character? No, it does not mean that. But you have to be careful exactly how you do this. First of all, if they're the only queer character in the story, you have to be careful that you're not just burying your gaze because that's a thing that happens way too often. You have to be careful, you have to be mindful, and you have to make sure that you're not doing that. So maybe not just have one, which is, I think, where Star Trek thought it was getting away with it, that they had two. So obviously they could kill one. You could bury one and it would be fine. Except it wasn't fine because that's kind of the extension or the subcorollary. If a gay couple is introduced, one of them will die so the other one can go crazy and either have a breakdown or become a villain. And of course that's what we got in season one of Star Trek Discovery. So yeah, don't do that. The last trope I wanted to talk about before getting into a bigger issue that a lot of, especially science fiction has, is uh, the Gangel trope. If your LGBTQIA plus character exists solely to be your cis heterosexual main character's best friend who shows up to give them advice and to help them through their problems without having really any life or story of their own, then what you've done is created a gangel, not a character. 
Gangels can be fun, and once upon a time, did kind of pass as representation because, hey, at least we're in the movie. At least we're in the book. At least we're on the TV show. And then it got old fast. I, I personally blame Will and Grace for destroying this one because, well, in all actuality, while the show is titled Will and Grace, for the most part, it's uh, Grace and her assistant and the two gangels that live with them and interact with them and who make their lives better through their queer magic. So yeah, be careful about that. We, we have personalities, we have ideas, we have ambitions. We do not exist specifically and solely to make the lives of cis-heterosexuals better. So, yeah, try to avoid that one if you can. But the biggest problem that I wanted to get into, and like I said, this is one that affects sci-fi a lot more than it does fantasy, but <sighs> that's uh, making your queer character not human. Now, it is possible to write a queer character that is not human. I'm not saying that that's not possible. But usually it's not. The Mocklins do not have queerness. They don't. They're an exclusively, toxically masculine species. To the point where they force gender reassignment surgery onto females that are born in their society. And yeah, no. Bordis is not gay. Mocklins are not gay. If you're not familiar with, with them, they're from uh, the show The Orville. They're not gay. They can't be gay. There, there's no opportunity for queerness in their society. It is the default. And while I'm not saying you can't create a species where being queer in some way, shape, or form is, isn't the default, or is the default, in fact, in the sci-fi setting that I'm currently in the middle of developing, there is a species that one of the main characters will be a part of that has the ability to change their gender. That character is not trans. You see, for someone to be trans, that means that they are actually part of a... They identify with a gender other than the one that they were assigned at birth. I specifically designed the species to have four genders. A neutral gender into which all people are born into in their species. Then there are three adult sexes, two reproductive sexes, and one non-reproductive sex. They are not trans. Now, they're super not trans because they get to choose. They have the ability to choose. Being trans is not a choice. And thus the characters that I'm developing for my setting, their particular species, does not have trans characters in it. 
because everyone gets to choose their gender. Thus, there is not a previously assigned gender, and thus, there is not a transition to the actual gender that the person is. And the reason I created the species this way is I actually wanted to do a lot of exploration of the topic of gender itself, and I wanted to free it from the confines of being associated with sex, as in biological sex. And so that's one of the reasons why I did what I did. And so I created a species that will basically allow me to just explore the gender spectrum without having to constantly relate gender to biological sex. And that's where I'm going to have some fun in the story that I'm doing. But it is an exploration of gender, not trans identity, though I do feel like some people, including myself, will identify with them because of their ability to change their gender. But they are not trans characters. Mocklins, as I previously said, are not gay. They're not queer. It is more an exploration of toxic masculinity and how it would play out in an exclusively same-gendered species, rather than any real exploration of queerness or what it means to be different. Now, Bordis's spouse, that's a more interesting question, but because of events that are taking place on the show, a much muddier one. And this is where you have to be very careful when you're dealing with creating alien species or fantasy races. Once you have created an androgynous species, choosing gender that could be possibly seen as being trans, as with the Next Generation episode where this happens, but that actually doesn't really play into sexuality at all. The only place that it would is if their culture is asexual, aromantic in some way, and then they would be queer in that they're choosing an identity outside of that, or exhibiting an identity outside of that. But that's the problem. When we're talking about minorities, sexual, gender, or ethnic, the idea of choice is not something that gets to be brought in. And if you are creating a scenario where it is a choice, well, you've kind of messed up. And this is where a lot of well-meaning sci-fi and fantasy writers go wrong. I, I have no doubt that the Mocklins were created for the Orville for the sake of discussing numerous questions of gender and sexuality. The problem is that in the way that they were designed, they break out and are no longer part of the human analog. Now, you could do some things with gender and sexuality in an alien species, and Enterprise did this in an interesting way where they related the intimacy of the mind meld to sex and actually did a whole plot line about mind melds being seen as deviant 
and there actually being a disease that had a stigma, which was kind of an AIDS analog. That that's a whole other episode as to whether or not that analogy that they were going for worked. But given that their species and our species are roughly equivalent in the way that we exhibit biological sex and intimacy, similar enough that, well, we have half Vulcan characters appearing on the show, that an analog could be made there, but it's not going to be as easy as it would be if you just leave them human. And then you don't accidentally muddy the water and end up accidentally saying something that you didn't intend to say. Yeah. Alrighty. I hope this helped. Um, these are basically just ideas to put in your head. I am not the governor of what is and is not right when it comes to writing people of the LGBT community, but... These are some things that I know bother me and bother a lot of people like me when they appear in books, movies, and television. And so I thought I would make it kind of out there for you all to help you guide you on your way. If you haven't already, please do take a moment to rate this podcast or whatever app you're listening to me on. It really does help out a lot. If you have any questions, comments, or topics you'd like to hear discussed on the show, in the show notes, you'll find a link to the voice message system. Keep it short, keep it clean, so I can use it on the show. I'd love to hear from you. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm C. Dorson on both. You can find links to everything that I do at projectshadow.com. If you have a dollar you can pass my way, please consider joining my Patreon. It really does help me do everything that I do. Your support does mean the world to me, and thank you to everybody who already does that. If you don't have any money, or you don't feel like giving right now, that's all right. But if you know anybody who would like any of the work that I do, do please share it with them. That helps out immensely as well. I want to thank you for listening to this episode, and good luck with your writing. Until next time, don't forget, have the fun. Bye.